Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. My guest today is Anthony Pieri. Anthony is a co-founder of Fletch PMM, a product marketing consultancy focused on helping early stage founders figure out their positioning and their most compelling value propositions. And he then helps them translate that to a super clear homepage. So he said a fun fact about him is he's in a pop band, pop punk band called Good Hangs that has 40,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. So in today's episode, Anthony talks about, we really kind of hunker down on the topic of niching down. Like, why is it so important for you to really hone in on a very specific audience? And he gives a ton of reasons why and how to do that and how it's worked for him and his company. So let's dive right in. But Anthony, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk to you. And uh, thanks for taking time out of your day. I'm sure Definitely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I was looking at your bio and of course, you know, I had posted this week how I like to start with something kind of fun. And I noticed that you said you're in a pop punk band. Can you tell me about that? I mean, are you, have you been a musician like for your, your whole life? I have, I've been a musician really long and um, it's funny. There was a, a TikTok or something about people's reactions to finding out that you're in a band changes from each decade of your life. So when you're in your, you know, like 18, people are like, wow, you're in a band. And then when you're 20s, they're like, oh, you're in a band. And then when you're in your 30s, they're like, you're in a band. So it's, it's <laughs> definitely become less of a cool thing. But yeah, me, me and my friends, we've been doing music together forever. And uh, it's, it's funny. We actually have more monthly listeners than I have LinkedIn followers. So, so I'm, I'm very proud of our audience on Spotify. Most people on LinkedIn obviously don't really care or most of the people we work with in our in my day-to-day life. Don't really care. You, you know, it's funny because I think when you understand music and you play music, that it there's something like so cerebral. I, I think it uses both sides of the brain. Like it's not, it's something that is actually really healthy. I mean, the only thing I ever did musically was my, my dad used to play guitar. I played the French horn in grade school. That was it. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. But, but I had first chair and I had a solo and I don't know, even know how I did it at this, you know, at my age now, I'm like, how did I even do that? Stand up in front of like this auditorium full of kids and, and play this French word. But yeah, I wanted to also get into a little bit about um, your company. So your co-founder of Flex PMM and you say it's a, so you're focused on helping early stage founders like figure out their positioning. And, and what my question is, how does that differ from other types of agencies and kind of similar businesses to yours. Yeah, definitely. So we are strong believers in the power of niching down. And so it's just me and my partner and we're doing services to, you know, working with companies directly in one-on-one consulting capacity. So we don't need a million clients. And so we've basically taken a strong stance that when you shrink the pie to something really, really specific, you have a way better chance of gaining word of mouth, dominating that group, like being the the expert in what you do. And right. so we've shrunk what normally a marketing agency would do, which is a ton of stuff. They would write your website. They would help you launch campaigns. They would do your 
um, ads and your content, all sorts of full service marketing stuff. We said, no, 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 we're going to cut all that out. And we just help and do one thing. We help. And for one group of people, one very specific target segment, which is early stage startups, usually SaaS, usually B2B. Um, we usually work with the founder or the head of marketing if they have one at that point. And mm-hmm. we just help them figure out the best way to explain their company and their product on their website homepage. So we we don't do... And sometimes we'll do sub pages, but we don't do anything else besides that. And for us, we see it the big win that they get is not just obviously a rewritten homepage that is a lot easier to understand for people. Mm-hmm. But the, the big thing we're helping them solve is how do I quickly explain what my company does or what my product is? Um, and what is really like the key value propositions, the arguments that I would make to someone? If I'm standing in the elevator with someone who's a prospect of our product, I could quickly explain, oh, you're doing this? Well, we have a product for that and it helps you do A, B, and C. And so it gets fleshed out on a page. That's like the easiest way to express that positioning and messaging is on a website. And so obviously, there's a huge element of copywriting that comes uh, in the projects that we do. But we approach it from more the positioning and messaging side, which would loosely be called product marketing, like as the the general discipline. So we we come at the website messaging, not directly from the copywriting angle, but more from the product marketing angle. And that's all we do. We've done it for over 100 companies at this point. And because we've narrowed in our scope so much, we do feel like we've gained some specific expertise that can't really be replicated by other people because most full-service marketing agencies that do a ton of different work, you don't get enough repetitions of the same exact work to build the pattern recognition. Like We can, we can hop on a call with the founder of any early-stage company and pretty much we can say things to them and they're like, how, have you been in our meetings? Like, How do you know exactly what we're all thinking and what we're struggling with? Because we're like, we can look at your website and I can tell you exactly why, why you wrote it the way you did and why that's going to screw you over in the long term if you don't get this stuff right. That's so interesting because that's very close to what I do. I do, I kind of specialize in, in creating value propositions or helping a company find their value prop because Love that. so many, when I go on their website and I hear this from other people too, it's like I went on so-and-so's website and I have no idea what they do. You know, it just, they use vague terms or what I call marketing speak. You know, they say the same thing everyone else says and it means nothing. It's like, oh, it sounds good. They're big words and, you know, and so niching down, how do you find people that are specific in your niche then? Yeah. And that's, that's the great lie that people get confused about is that when we say, when we talk like every couple months, we try to tighten our positioning, our own positioning and even narrow it further. So like when we talk about our ideal customer profile, every couple months, we try to make it smaller because the smaller we get it, the more we are able to like land deals in it. So yeah. for us, when people hear that we only are, are targeting, we'll work with people outside of our, our niche that come in, but mm-hmm. we're targeting and publicly positioning for like, here's, here's a list of attributes that we're looking for. They're an early stage B2B software as a service startup, and they... I have maybe raised between a seed to a series A round of funding. It's usually the founder or head of marketing that we're trying to work with. Most of the time, the product is more horizontal and can be used across a variety of different customer segments. And they're usually struggling to rewrite their homepage for like an upcoming go-to-market launch of like, we really are going to do a big push. We want to make sure our website. So when other agencies hear that, it's like really scary for them because it feels so narrow. And they're right. like, oh my gosh, how could you... That's like such a specific tiny group of people. Yeah. But we're like, even if there's 100,000 of those people total, 
right? We're we're again, we're not software, so we don't need your this giant group with millions of users. And and because we have gone so specific, when people see us and they're in that group, there there would be no second choice of who they would talk to because if they're in that specific situation struggling with that specific problem and they see our page and it's like literally written for them, we've built this entire service just for you. There isn't any other competition. Like I think one out of over a hundred clients that we've worked with, one of them was like, I'm trying to decide if I should work with you or a marketing agency that's more all purpose. And we ended up beating the all purpose marketing agency. And for everyone else, they basically will, the word of mouth is so strong because when someone finds themselves in that specific situation, everyone else who's heard of us or seen anything we post online is like, oh, you've got to talk to these guys. They're the only people who really do what you're struggling with. We solve it. And I think for us, we we discovered that that was such a giant pervasive problem of they can't figure out how to explain it. That we're like, we don't actually need 10 other services. We could just do one thing and it'll be a really um, thriving business for the two of us. Well, I think it's so interesting. Um, I, I use a story about a, uh, when I used to do personal training and I had a, a client who had hurt her shoulder and she was going to a doctor who specialized not only in just shoulders, but shoulders for women, women's shoulders. That's all she did. And you would think that, you know, how are you going to find just the people, the women who have this problem? She was swapped. I mean, she had like a waiting list of people, you know, wanted to see her. So I think that the people who find you that are going to really be highly targeted to, you know, like you said, they read, they see what you do and they're like, this is how are you not, you know, you're reading our minds or something. So exactly for sure. And that's totally what we've seen is the more tight, the more narrow, the more specific we go with our positioning, just the more that the sales calls, it's like, they're just like a breeze. People come on, they say, I've been reading everything you've been posting for the last couple of months. And, you know, we're in the exact spot you're describing. And so most of the time it's like, we have one call and then, they're, they're sold. Yeah. And what is it that makes people like companies are afraid to do that? Like you mentioned that earlier, it's like, aren't you afraid to, you know, niche down. And I think it's also why you have all this marketing speak on everyone's website that just, it's like they're hoping to catch everyone. And then they end up with, you know, just sounding like everyone else. They're not getting the people that they want. I mean, what would you say to someone who, who said that, you know, that I just, I'm afraid to niche down. Yeah, I think a lot of times what people don't understand. So we're working primarily with early stage. So these are small teams. This is like ten to twenty employees. There, if there are any marketing and salespeople, there's maybe one marketing person, a couple yeah. salespeople. And so I think what they don't understand is most people will agree if we say, should you have an ideal customer profile? Like, should you have a target that you're going after? Nine out of ten people will say yes. And I actually ran a poll on LinkedIn. And I said, how many ICPs should an early stage startup have? And I said, one or more than one. And about 80% of the people said one, 20% said more than one. And a lot of the people who commented were in the 20%. They were like, yeah, but really, I mean, you should be looking at multiple to find one. So like even the people who said more than one were sort of thinking you should have one. And so that's the best practices that people agree to on the surface. But when you actually get into the driver's seat and you have your own startup and you're getting people who are offering you money from all these different segments, there's that push of it of like, well, I don't want to turn away these people. I just landed a guy in you know, the logistics industry and someone else from financial services. So we should probably say that we're for both those companies and we should put it on our homepage. So there's, there's some fear of like, I don't want to miss out on revenue. But then there's also the investor angle, which is they've sold the story that they're going to 
create this giant company that services all these different industries and they're going to become so massive. And then the third angle is they look at the most successful startups um, in the last 10 years. They look at the Slacks, you know, the Asanas, the any of these people that are very horizontal and can get into all these different markets at the same time. And they think, well, I don't understand. Slack didn't pick one small group. They got everyone. Calendly didn't do that, right? Loom just got sold for a billion dollars and they didn't pick an industry. And what they always forget is that all of those companies that are very horizontal have these incredible viral growth loops built into the company that let them jump from industry to industry at incredibly fast speeds. Like when you send a Calendly link to book a call, um, you send it internally to your company, but you also send it to other companies. So Calendly spreads from industry to industry to industry. And so for them, it's like, yeah, of course they can do that because they have this distribution uh, method that will allow them to penetrate a billion different industries. Nine times out of 10, the other startups who want to do the same thing do not have a viral product. They might have a higher average contract value that's kind of expensive. And the way they're landing new clients is through marketing and sales, putting out campaigns, cold outbound, all sorts of stuff like that. And they right. don't do not have the capacity on their team to penetrate 10 markets at once. And so it's really funny, like um, those people, there's a whole group of people on online who say you have to create your own category. You got to be bold. And like the, the really bold and courageous people are the ones who are willing to go after the giant market opportunity and stuff. And I'm like, the, the true courageous ones know that they're not going to be able to do that and are courageous enough to pick a smaller market to dominate first and then yeah. use the success in that small market to to spread to other ones. And this is like they call it the the bowling pin strategy where you pick a small underserved segment that the market leader doesn't really care about. You knock them down. Then it allows you to knock down the next two, then the next four or five or whatever it is, bowling pin. And, and that strategy is what you've seen with most of the big companies. Like Amazon, perfect example. Amazon starts with books, right? And then gradually add on other things that they sell. Or Facebook starts with Harvard, only Harvard. And then it was only elite colleges. And then it was all colleges. Then high schoolers, they got to go into. And then it was everyone in the US. And then it was everyone in the world. So they gradually expanded from these success metrics in a small market, slightly bigger, slightly bigger. And so I think you see all these competing facts and mm -hmm. it all just gets coalesced into uh, the homepage, which is so funny. Like we, we see the homepage like, oh, you guys just help with the homepage. But it's like your homepage is essentially the barometer of your strategy. It's a barometer of how good you're positioned and how smart you're thinking about growing the company. And like yeah. you can tell when a company has a bad strategy when their homepage is so broad and they're early stage. You can't, you can't afford to be that broad when you're early stage. You're not going to be able to do the product side good enough to make all these different industries happy. And you don't have the go-to-market muscle to actually reach all these markets where you'd be much better served by picking one. And, and one anecdote, like we'll work with companies and they'll literally, we'll literally say like, all right, so we're going to help you rewrite your homepage. And we'll, we'll look at the homepage today and we'll say, what do you think is bad about it today? Say, wow, it's really broad. It's really vague. It could be for anyone. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to all agree that that's bad. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, here's the antidote. Let's talk about your different segments and they'll list them out. And then we'll ask what percentage of, of your customers are in each one. But 80% of them are in this bucket. And we're like, what percentage of revenue? They're like, oh, it's like even higher. 90% come from this bucket. And I'm like, interesting. So the one bucket makes up almost all your business. You got these seven other ones. Do you think it might behoove you to just target that one on the homepage mainly? And then they're like, I don't know. It's so scary. It's so risky. And, and then they usually will not do it. They'll be like, no, no, no. We want to target all of them at once. And then I just slide back over 
to their existing page and I go, remember what we said? This is where you are today. You don't like this. This is bad. It's broad and generic and it doesn't work. Like So the antidote is not just some magical unicorn way of talking to all the audiences at once better. The problem right. It's like if you're writing a letter, you can't write the same letter to your grandma and your school teacher and your your wife or your husband and have the same letter and just be like, yeah, they'll, they'll all get it. We're just going to send right. the same letter to everyone. Right. Oh, that's funny. Well, I think part of it too is that people tend to compare themselves to to companies or other entrepreneurs who are way advanced. Like it's like the whole thing about an overnight success. Yeah. That overnight success for a company took ten years to get there. You know, and that's the danger. Especially like on LinkedIn, where you hear about people. You know, oh, I made you know X number of dollars, or and you hear about these fantastical stories, but you don't know what the backstory is. And when you find out, like I used to belong to a, a coaching group. And there was a woman who talked about how her first launch for some product was a hundred. She did a hundred thousand dollar launch. Turned out she had had a TV program on uh, PBS, and she had like this whole audience that was just ready for her to do something. They leave that part out, you know. And so everyone <laughs> who's just starting out, thinking, "Why am I not doing that? There's something wrong with me, or my product is horrible." And it's not the case. It's just that they haven't done all of that kind of undercover work. And it's so interesting what you say is when you when people acknowledge that there's a problem with the homepage, but they still are hesitant to do anything about it. Is it they're just afraid of like, what if somebody comes along and, and they're outside of that, they're not going to want to hire us, right? But then you said yourself that you you work with people outside of your target audience. Yeah, we've used this example of, a, it's a little silly, kind of topical though, is a Taylor Swift example. So Taylor Swift will write love songs in one of her most famous love songs of all time, is this song called All Too Well. She talks about her and her, the person she's in love with. They dance around the, the kitchen in the refrigerator light. So that's the lyric. You could imagine the scene. It's late at night and the person's dancing with their you know lover and, and the only light on is the, the fridge that's open. So you hear that and you're like, wow, what an incredibly specific picture. And yet that is what makes the love story resonate with millions and millions of people who have never danced in the light of a refrigerator. The specificity unlocks the understanding for everyone. And so what happens with us, when we write our page and we say, it's for SaaS companies, early stage, you can't figure out who you want to target, and we get really specific because we're writing for a person, everyone else who shares that same problem, who isn't necessarily a SaaS company even, because the specificity is so high, they could immediately understand, actually, we could probably use this too. And so like and Nike is a great example, right? Like Nike will run ads of these people, like super athletic people running and stuff. And they'll catch all these other people who are not athletes because they're like, oh, I, I get it. I understand what this is for. And so you'll see examples like this all the time where the specificity unlocks the understanding for the broad audience. And when yeah. you stay um, really vague, you actually don't convert anyone. Nobody gets it. Even your ICP, the person you're trying to win, that person, if they see it, they're going to go, I'm not actually sure if this is for me because it's so unbelievably vague. Yeah. And also what you said about, uh, I'm not a particular Taylor Swift fan, but um, but, <laughs> but I can visualize that. And it's the way to write copy as well. Yep. It's very specific. And that's why I'm always hammering home about, you know, you need to talk to people. What words do they use? What what do yeah. they do if, if you they're willing to tell you? I walk me through your day, I ask people. Like, what is it, you know, because if they're if the, your audience tends to get up and go to Starbucks, do they 
make their coffee at home? Do they, you know, these are all things that I have woven into copy that make people who are the target to say, oh, that sounds like me. I have a golden retriever, you know, like something really specific. Or even if they don't, they have that feeling. And it's it's about emotional, getting the emotion behind, like that copy that you said, um, you know, Taylor Swift, It's it evokes an emotional response. You can see it, you can feel it. That's how people decide too. So that's another, you know, part of that. And you could imagine if Taylor Swift were to change the lyrics and it would be like, I love my boyfriend. They're so great. They're so awesome. Like the, it would not be a, I think her, like the, she has like a longer version. It's like the highest listened to 10 minute long song in all history or something. Like it would not become that because the right. vague general lovey dovey language that doesn't actually hold any specificity, uh, specificity, it just, it removes the punch. It removes the clarity and people actually don't see themselves in it because they, you're missing that that concrete nature of the language. And the only way, like you said, the only way to get concrete is to say, what are they actually doing? What is, what are your, and to say they is implying a group of people, right? Like, so, and, and we'll often see this too, that there's a big, a big struggle when companies are trying to figure out who to write for. And it's like, are we writing for the people who don't yet have a solution for this problem and are kind of exploring the landscape? Or are we writing for people who've been in the solution space for a long time? They know the players and we're really trying to say why they should switch to us because those are going to be fundamentally such different messages of convincing someone to do the thing for the first time versus talking about your differentiating features for people who are already in the space. Like you can imagine like Tesla convincing someone to get their first electric car. They have to talk about it in very basic terms of like, how am I going to charge it? Where do I charge it? You know, what's, what does this mean for, I guess, no oil changes? What does maintenance look like? They have to answer those questions for people who don't yet have an electric car versus people who have been in the electric car ecosystem talking about all the ways that they're better than the other electric cars. So even just choosing an audience, that distinction of someone who's currently in it or not is going to drastically change how you describe their world, which features you highlight, which ones you de-emphasize and let them discover later. So right. those are all factors that if you don't make the audience choice your message just gets really broad and watered down and uncompelling it's that level of awareness you yep. know and, and that's the thing that's tough about as a copywriter writing the home page is <laughs> i had a copywriting coach she said here's what you're going to spend 80 percent of your time writing a home page tearing your hair out because yeah. you, you don't know where people are coming from they could be coming from an ad they could be coming from a search engine they could be i mean could be anyone but one of the things i wanted to ask you about that is do you if someone says okay we you know, we love the homepage. Can you write the rest of our website copy? Do you do that as well? Or just you focus on the one? Mainly on the homepage. We will sometimes do like one other landing page, but we've we've made it. So we're actually not very cost effective for a startup to have us write all their pages. And we do that by design because we're not trying to be like these page writing junkies that are just churning them out. We're trying to help them solve these fundamental positioning and messaging problems. And so what we try to do is equip them with the tools that after we've worked through the process with them on either the homepage or a landing page, that they can then take what we did and copy it for other segments. If they're like, okay, we wrote it for this group. Now we really need to make similar messages for these other two. They have like a good standard to work off of. And we'll give yeah. them the templates and the pr approaches and stuff so that they're able to actually do it. But yeah, usually we just will do one from 95% of the people we work with. Some people will do two. That's interesting. How long does it take for that process? Like approximately? Yeah, it's usually like two weeks. So we'll do two 75-minute workshops that are really, sometimes three, um, sometimes even four. <laughs> we, we don't charge for the workshop. The process takes as long as it does. 
So uh, sometimes we'll do a lot more, but most people we can do within two to three workshops of, of 75 minute focused each time. And we'll bring in their founder, their marketing leader, their sales leader, if they have um, you know, any of their other main decision makers. And what we're really just trying to understand is what are the options for segments that we can target on the homepage? Uh, and is it going to be a vertical slice? Are we going to target an industry? Or are we going to do a more horizontal slice? It's going to be people who have the same situation across multiple industries. Is it both? Is it like a, a mix of both? Um, and so we, we're mainly trying to figure out who the people are. We're, then we're under trying to understand, do they have dedicated tools for this? And we're going to position ourselves against the other tools like in a competitive way. Right, like everybody uses CRMs, but they're terrible for X, Y, and Z, and we're different because of this. Or are we doing like we would call it contextual differentiation, which is more you're doing these manual processes with all these different things held together with duct tape. Wouldn't it be great if there was a better way to make your your workflow easier and and uh, more whatever? So choosing the audience, then trying to figure out what what type of differentiation are we going to do, and then really trying to look at what is our product differentiation. What have we actually built? What can they do with their product that they couldn't do before? And then yeah. mixing all those things together, we have a, a bunch of different like templates and canvases that we'll work through in these workshops. But that gives us the ammo to then write the first draft of a page. And then we'll usually do the the second week of like the if the workshops are in week one, the second week is usually more asynchronous and we're writing an iteration of the page, sending it over to them in a Slack channel. They'll comment back, you know, what about this, this, and this? And then we'll be iterating back and forth to try to get it to a good spot. And then mm. from there, usually at the end of the second week, we'll get it to a pretty strong place where they feel like, okay, we can take this copy, this structure, these sections, and launch them on the page. And people, you know, depending on how fast they move, some of them get it up within a, a week. Other people, it can take a little bit longer if they're bigger and have more decision makers who need to weigh in on it. Or if they just don't have the 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 web design and, and stuff like that skills in-house, they might have to uh, bring people in and that can make it take a little bit longer. Well, where does the design of the homepage come in? Is that something that you suggest? Do they say this is where you know they come to you with it? We basically give them a, like a wireframe. So it doesn't have the fonts, the colors, all that type of like interesting designy stuff. We loosely give them like sections. So we're like, in general, most hero sections of websites, we think it's better rather than to do a giant words and then a giant image. It's actually, we think it's better to try to get as much context into one screen as possible because that's going to determine if they're going to scroll down. So if they, you can answer the questions, what is it? When would I use it? Why would I use it? How would I use it? Who would use it? All those questions. So for us, we're like, the, the, the uh, amount of design we give them is we say, the text should be on this side and you should have an image over here. Um, sometimes we'll say, you know, hey, this section should be a three by one. It should be text, text, text with with maybe a title like this, or maybe it's going to be... So it's very loose design. And if they have good designers, they'll tweak it. They'll they'll spice it up, make it look better. Um, but for most people, we just give them the rough wireframe and it'll loosely look like a website, but without any of the, the frills. And what about the measuring, like the success of it? Is that something you get involved in too? Like, do they come back to you? Or do you ever ask about like, how did this convert or... Yeah, and we'll see varying degrees of success for conversions because for us, what we've uncovered over time is your conversion rate is the result of so many different things that yeah. aren't just the website. And because we're early stage, it's not like we're doing conversion rate optimization where you have 500,000 visitors every month and we're doing you know A-B tests and, and all that like crazy stuff that CRO people do. It's more about improving the clarity. And so sometimes what will happen is when they have a very vague homepage, 
when we get more clear about what actually they're doing and the people see it, if their go-to-market was also very broad, like if they're getting people from all different sources for all different reasons and they're driving to them to this kind of confusing homepage, the people who do convert might actually just be converting to figure out what the heck it is. That they're like, this seems interesting. I guess I'll try it. They log into the product and then they say, oh, this was something completely different. This is not for me. And they'll immediately churn. So you could have a high conversion rate that actually goes down if you clarify the homepage positioning because the people will come, they'll go, oh, I thought it was something else. I'm on the homepage and now I see it's not that. And so I'm not going to convert. So it's almost like kicking the kicking the thing down the can where they used to get in the product and then churn. Now they'll not convert without getting to the churning step, which is probably better. Keeps your product analytics you know, a lot cleaner. But yeah. it also, it's like a systems approach to really understand the imp- like to get the impact really well, you would have to align all of your go-to-market efforts with this new positioning. And so the startups that do that, when they actually adjust it on the homepage and they'll adjust where they're driving people from, we do see the conversions go up f- pretty much across the board. But a lot of yeah. people don't make that holistic of changes. We, we suggest that they should, but they keep the same go-to-market like that would be maybe driving towards one type of user and we position around another. And so it, it, it's like a systems approach. You change one thing, without changing the others, and you're going to get kind of wonky results. But we, right. we always go into these projects saying, the main thing we're going to help you do is increase the clarity. And it's really up to them if that's a high value or not, to yeah. make it clear, to be able to explain it clearly. And like, we'll, we usually send, when, when people are going to work with us, we just send before and afters. We're like, here's five clients that we worked with before and after. And they can just, like, this is part where it's a little bit more subjective, but like universally people will see the before and after. They'll read the before and say, I don't understand what this is. They'll read the after and say, oh, I get it now. So it's like, it's harder to measure that in a quantitative way, but that really is what we're providing is more clarity, taking something that's confusing and making it clear. And if you have a good product that's clear to explain and you're sending the right people there, you're going to see all the good metrics go up. If you have a right. bad product, you're sending the wrong people. You might actually see the things go down, but you're going to learn a lot faster so you can fix things down the line. That's so interesting. Yeah. Well, what would you suggest for people who want it? Like clarity is something I talk a lot about on LinkedIn because people tend to undervalue it. It's like, well, of course my messaging is clear and they have no idea. Like they don't know what they don't know kind of thing. But how would you suggest like a company who isn't sure that their messaging is clear? Like, is there anything they can do to either check it or to make it clear? Like any kind of tips that you would provide? The most humbling experience, and it costs a little amount of money, is to use Winter. It's called winter.com, W-Y-N-T-E-R. And what they do is they basically have a giant group of people from all these different segments. So they have marketing leaders, sales leaders, and you can basically say... My company is for sales teams of B2B companies or whatever. And they'll get like 15 to 20 people from that exact ICP. And you can send them your homepage and they'll look at each section and evaluate the clarity. They'll leave comments. And those exercises are the most humbling experiences because what you thought was so clear, you'll get it back. And it's just comment after comment. After comment. What is this? Why does this matter? Who? Why do I care? This sounds dumb. I don't get it. It's just over and over and over. And so like what we say say to people, like if they really want to qualitatively or quantitatively measure it, they should run a winter test before we work with them and then we'll work with after and run it again. But again, these are early stage startups. So their their budgets are lower. So sometimes they can't, they don't want to put the money in for that. And yeah. so, but yeah, that that's probably the easiest way to see. And they really 
will make you feel sad about how unclear it is. <laughs> One of my very first jobs out of college, I worked for um, focus groups. I was uh, involved in creating products. I wanted, I'm one of these serial entrepreneurs. I've done a million different things. So I worked in a test kitchen and we had to create products for companies like Entenmann's, they used to, uh, Thomas's muffins and all these things. And we would pull in people after we created these prototypes and behind like a one-way glass, we'd have, you know, they have a moderator in the room and you have to hear people just bash you, telling you to get out of the business. You don't know what you're doing and you just have to suck it up and, you know, listen, but that's, that's what other people are going to say too. If you don't want to listen, it's, you know, you have to put your ego aside. It's tough, but a hundred percent. Yeah. This has been awesome. So where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you, find out more about your company? Yeah. So, um, for the average person, you know, if any of this, messaging positioning stuff is interesting to you i would say connect with me on linkedin give me a follow or send a connect a, a direct connect request i add pretty much everyone and then if you're like we actually are thinking about working with you or we'd want to see what you do more on the consulting side uh the website is fletch pmm for product marketing pmm.com and so that's usually the easiest way to get in touch with us we list all of our pricing up front we talk about our our, our process so it's not like hidden away in some gated you have to get on a call with us to understand it um so yeah th those are probably the two ways that most people would would be best to get in touch okay awesome because i'll put all that in the show notes and uh yeah this has been great thank you so much for taking the time and it's been super interesting and really a lot of great information so thanks again definitely thanks for having me and that is a wrap of today's episode i hope you found some actionable advice that you can use to help you improve your copy conversions and for even more copywriting exclusive tips, be sure to click the link in the show notes to sign up for my weekly newsletter so you don't miss a beat. And as always, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review. It really helps me out. Talk again soon.